Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of Krampus, starring Adam Scott, Tony Collette, David Kettner, Allison Tolman, Conchetta Farrell, MJ Anthony, Stefania Leveo, and Krista Stadler and Luke Hawker. Directed by Michael Doherty of Trick or Treat fame. Released in 2015 on a budget of $15 million. Grows $61.5 million in its box office run. Now, Nick, you recommended this one. I heard a lot about it back in 2015. But I just didn't get around to seeing it last holiday. Had a lot of travel going on and other stuff, and just didn't see it. And then every time I would think about it, I'm like, eh, it's you know, it's not really Christmas time. It's not. I'm not really in the mood for that. So it wasn't until you said, "Hey, let's do it for the podcast in 2016 here," that I even thought about it again. So how did you discover this thing? Um, just <laughs> well, I remember seeing a trailer for it uh, probably like in November. You know, probably about a month before it came, was coming out, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is like the first time I've seen any like." marketing for this movie and apparently um you know kind of in the horror circles i guess this was kind of known that it was coming out being by uh michael daughtry um the guy behind uh you know the cult class you know the one of the cult movies uh trick or treat not not the old one with like ozzy osbourne and everything but the uh the newer (laughs) one that came out a few years ago it was one of these movies that was made and then it was like kind of shelved because i didn't think they really knew what it was and then it was eventually released on dvd and since then it's it's really developed like a very strong cult following as far as it being like one of those Halloween movies that like everybody goes to kind of see and it kind of created its own little mascot. I don't know if you know if you ever seen Trick or Treat, Jay, but uh, you know, Sam with his yeah, uh, yeah, the little candy little, uh, thing. Yeah. yeah, little candy cane with the bite taken out of it. it. It was a fun movie. I mean, it's it's not a great movie, but it's it's fun and it's you know, it's I think it's one of the actually the stronger anthology horror movies out there. I put it like right alongside like uh Creep Show and Tales from the Dark Side and you know, movies like that where it's kind of mm. You got you got like four or five different stories that kind of interconnect. They kind of got characters that kind of cross in between them, and it's it's a very cruel movie, but it's done in a way that it's it's like a very like dark comedy. And seeing the trailers for Krampus when that first came out, it had the same vibe as Trick or Treat, where it was dark and it had monsters and everything but it also had kind of like a little little twinkle in its eye where it's like you know we're not being 100 percent serious here because we're being so over the top but yeah i remember um uh we actually were planning on going to a movie uh, about a week before christmas and this was out and i actually took the family to go see it because i was really like <laughs> wanted to see it and sitting next to my eight-year-old son I'm sitting there laughing and he's holding onto my arm because it's scaring the crap out of him. And this is the kid but, that like sleeps with the plush stuff, uh, face hugger and like watches alien and all that stuff all the time. So if it scared him, it was doing its job. Yeah, I think it's, well, you gotta be honest. I mean, like watching a horror movie during the day on your TV is a little bit different than, you know, watching it in a dark theater or essentially it was just us and a couple other people in the movie right. theater. But I think when you got that surround sound of the big giant screen in front of you and being in the dark like that, you know, movies that are a little bit more, I guess you can say, you know, it's scary movies are going to be a little bit more scary in the movie theater. So it really got to them. And we actually, you know, for this podcast, um, 
whole reason this came up with me was I was actually talking to my mom and she was just talking about like Christmas movies that she was going to be watching this season. And I was just doing some Black Friday shopping on like, you know, a few of the uh, big box stores. And I happened to go into their like Blu-ray area and see that this movie was like on special at Best Buy for like $4.99 for like the deluxe DVD edition and everything. And I was like, holy crap. And I talked to my mom, I'm like, you, you remember the movie Krampus I came on? And she goes, no, I don't know anything about that. And I'm like, all right, tomorrow I'm going to load it up onto, uh, we have a shared Voodoo account that I'm like, hey, have you guys watched this? And uh, she watched it and, you know, after they watched it, I remember me and Chase, we actually sat down again to watch it uh, just downstairs. And he was actually laughing this time as opposed to <laughs> clutching onto my arm. So I don't know if it was just the year difference or, again, just the uh, the atmosphere of, you know, being in the safety of our family room as opposed to being in a big theater that's almost empty. So. Yeah, no, that I'm I'm glad you had that that family togetherness for that. I that's something my family has done for years was go to the movie theater at Christmas time. I have a lot of memories of seeing films in theaters at Christmas. So it's something I still do. Like I will go to <laughs> see a movie or whatever. I may not go with the fam anymore because dad doesn't really do it much anymore. My brother and I occasionally will if there's something good out. Like there's a Star Wars movie out in you know, the last couple of years and he and I grew up on those. So we'll see those. But he doesn't do horror flicks and you know, I can talk my wife into doing horror films during a certain time of the year, but Christmas yeah. is not that time because she is like all Hallmark channeled up right now. Like this is, you know, this is her time. And so I'm, I, that's fine. You know, she could do that. So she didn't watch this one with me. I watched it um, by myself this time. And I got to tell you, I didn't know what to expect. Like I knew almost nothing about it other than it's supposed to be this sort of shadow tell on Santa Claus. Like if he was, I thought it was like if Santa Claus was actually evil, it was one of those things come to find out it's not that at all, but I didn't know much about it, but I did know this. I knew that all of the actors in it that I knew, Adam Scott, David Kegner, Allison Tom Tolman in particular were all comedy actors. They were all comedians. They'd all done a lot of comic stuff. And Adam Scott's done a little bit of everything, but I know him from being a comedian. Keckner's been on stuff like The Office and is in Anchorman and that kind of thing. And I just kind of always think of him in that role. Uh, Allison Tolman's the same way. She does a lot of comedy. So I thought, okay, if this is going to be a, a horomedy, a horror comedy, they've done the right thing is that they've got the cast right. Because that's the, the hard thing with films like this is – they can try to make a horror comedy, but if you don't have the the cast right and people that can really pull that off, it it doesn't work. And then Michael Doherty helming it. When I saw that, I said, oh, I know I'm in for something good because I liked Trick or Treat. I thought he really nailed it, and he mixed a good bit of horror and comedy in that one. And I thought, well, I, I'm really, you know intrigued to see what he's come up with here. So I was curious mm -hmm. about it for sure, and it's... For nothing more than it's so rare to find a horror film I don't know a lot about or haven't seen, and so I'm I'm always down for that. And we always do something like this around you know holiday time. It seems like, and you know we did Jack Frost. I did that with Ron and Brian. That's kind of our our schlock horror of the season. But I thought, eh, let's do one that has good reviews and people think a lot of, and see if if that's warranted or not. Coming back to something that was really popular last year let's see if it's still popular a year later and i and for me i know like you're saying like your wife's kind of into the whole hallmark uh you know movies like for me for christmas it's like i'm one of these people that you know there's movies like die hard and stuff and i know it's not right. a christmas movie because it doesn't need which to we've place. reviewed as christmas yeah. movies before yeah. yeah and it's this whole thing you know like that lethal weapon you know this because 
they take place over Christmas. And like I said, it doesn't, Christmas really doesn't have much to do with the movie itself. I mean, yeah, there's a few elements in there, but you could easily put Die Hard on the 4th of July or something like that. And it would work just as well. But I'm the type of guy that like, okay, well, that's a Christmas movie for me. So I'm, I watch like Die Hard. I watch, you know, Gremlins. I watch, um, you know, and then again to like the holiday classics, you know, like the you know Christmas Vacation, Christmas Story, you know, Elf, you know, Home Alone. You know, there's a movies like movies I watch like with my family where it's kind of like solid. You know, you know we we always gonna watch like eight specific movies throughout the year. You know what I mean? And it's like, and after seeing this one, I remember it was like that's going to go in the rotation. It's going to go in the rotation. You know, I'm not going to say whether, you know, it's good or bad until we get to the end of it, but it was such a different type of Christmas movie that it was like, it's worth revisiting around the holidays. And a lot of the movies I watch, like a lot of the Christmas movies I watch, I know they're not very good. You know, I like home alone is, you know, it's got some merit to it. I know it was a huge movie at the time, but you watch it now and it's like, it's not really that great of a movie. It's just got a bunch of moments in there. With it's actually kind of sad. Like it's really sort of sick and sad. Now. It <laughs> like, is. It, it is. Yeah. When you look at it in adult eyes, like Home Alone, mm. and like, what the hell is wrong with that family? <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm like, if if I was, you know, Macaulay Culkin's dad, and like the uncle was talking to my kid like that, he'd have a broken nose. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you're going to sit there and call my kid a jerk in front of everybody. It's like, you're going to be spitting out teeth. Yeah, exactly. Doing that. But there, yeah, there's like so many stuff. But yeah, I just, like I said, with me, like with Christmas movies, it's like, it's all over the place. I, I like so many different kinds. And I throw like movies like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I know it's a Thanksgiving movie, but to me, like that's like the first like holiday season movie that I watch. And same with like Nightmare Before Christmas. I I always consider Nightmare Before Christmas to be a Christmas movie as opposed to a Halloween movie just because I think it kind of dwells more into the Christmas aspects later in the movie. But yeah, to me, I'm just kind of all over the place when it comes to my uh, holiday viewings. Well, I think I think everybody has their own traditions, and that's kind of cool. Look, I, a lot of people like the old holiday classics. I'll go ahead and confess something now on this podcast that I've talked about online. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life from start to finish. Like, I've seen yeah. bits and pieces of it. I feel like I know that movie because it's just so in pop culture. But I've never sat down and watched it. So I made myself a promise I was going to watch it this year in 2016. So I sit down and actually get through it and watch it. And no, we're not reviewing it on the show. But I'll post something on Facebook <laughs> about it so we can talk about it. But yeah. Nick, why don't we get into to Krampus and and. As we've done before, you know, most people know, just to pull the curtain back here on the on the show, I write the plot summaries for 98% of the films we review. But every now and then we'll come across one where somebody gets really passionate about it. So, like, Ron's written a few, and, you know, you did one for Terror Vision, which will go down in history as the probably the only one ever written from the monster's point of view. And so I put it to you to write the plot summary for this because I could only imagine what you would come up with. Uh, because I was going to go into it as cold as possible. I just watched it and took notes. So I'm going to give it to you now. Tell us what this movie's all about. Okay. All right. Well, I put a little bit of effort into it, so you got to give me a little bit of credit. So, <laughs> All right. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the Angles' house was a dysfunctional family filled with rednecks and even their spouse. As the kids sat together for a nice dinner meal, Max's cousins grabbed his letter to Santa and made him squeal. Max went upstairs because he was upset. He ripped up his letter and made a threat. Krampus heard Max's ordeal and decided that Max and his family would make a good meal. <laughs> As Krampus's friends visited Max's brood, each one of them picked each one of them was picked off and eventually changed Max's mood. With all gone, Max went to face Krampus, 
but he would have but he would have none of it and tossed match max into a fiery mattress <laughs> max suddenly awoke alive in his robe but little did he know he was inside of krampus's new snow globe <laughs> that was very good i'm glad you called out the fiery mattress because i was having hellraiser flashbacks there <laughs> so and thankfully that's the only time i did because there wasn't any other hellraiser moment but well, yeah, well, yeah. you know what? It's really hard to try and find something that rhymes with Krampus. So I'm like, well, mattress, mattress is close enough. <laughs> yeah, so. no, like really, yeah, you got to slant the rhyme on that. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was going back but, to like my my later yeah. high school years, like listening to Eminem. It's like, how can I just try to make this rhyme? Bra- bravo, bravo on the attempt there, for real. But I, I have to ask a question before we get into this movie. This yep. is based on something like folklore, right? What is Krampus? Well, I never actually heard of Krampus before this. I, I was always a big guy into The Office, you know, the, the American version of The Office. And when I heard Krampus, I'm like, well, no, that's what Dwight won as is one year, but he won as someone called Belschnickel. So <laughs> I don't know if they have any relation in there, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, I think when you go over to, like, you know, European folk, folklore, I think, you know, there's always some type of version of um, St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. And then yeah, a lot of them, o- yeah. yeah, all of them, they always had, like, almost like the – you know, the yin to that yang as far as like, well, there's the ultimate good one and then there's the bad one, which over here in America, we really don't have that. But looking it up, it looks like Krampus kind of was something that's like an old German tradition or something. And essentially what it was, it sounds like it was something that was, like I said, kind of created as a counterpart to St. Nicholas. Hmm. Um, So as opposed to, you know, Santa Claus rewarding them you know, the good kids with gifts, what Krampus would do is he would actually like swat the wicked children and then take them back to his lair. So, wow. um, yeah. So, and so according to folklore, and I got this off the internet, Krampus purportedly shows up in towns the night before December 6th. Um, he was known as Krampus or I, I, Krampus I don't know how to say it or, or Krampus night. And what happened was, um, during that time, it, that's kind of like, you know, when we celebrate St. Nick, you know, it's kind of like the little mini Saint Santa Claus gift that kids get on December 6th. Mm-hmm. And what the kids would do is, you know, they put their shoes outside. And if there was something like, um, you know, gifts out there, then they knew that they were being good. And for bad kids, they would put a rod. I don't know if a rod means something else, but I'm imagining it's probably something like coal or something like I, a cold. I think or the rod is, is probably the, the, like the whipping rod, like the, the switch is what I'd call it being in the South. So it, Adrian Peterson's kids get that. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so basically it's, you know, like I said, he's just, he's, he's, he's the um, anti Santa Claus in a way. And it yeah. sounds like, you know, he's not like necessarily like an evil being, but kind of just like one, one that's you know works side by side with Santa Claus, and he's the one that visits the bad kids. I always kind of knew it as like, is that Black Tom? Was that the name of one? I I don't know. I don't know that. But you know what? This totally fits in with where we've been this year because we talked about Stranger Things earlier this year and like Upside Down World, and we posited that you know for every good thing there had to be the opposite reaction evil thing out there. So I'm I'm totally getting what you're talking about. Like I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down here. I'm I'm following. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's, you know, Jesus to the devil almost in a way. Where I, you know, I guess, yeah. One, one for the good yeah. and one for the bad. So Yeah, there's there's one for everybody. So it's, yeah. you know, I, I like the idea, though, here. And just the basic setup of this is the, the story is pretty much if you lose your Christmas spirit, then the this bad thing can happen upon you. You know, it's, and I don't know, I like, I like uh, fairy tales and that type of thing where it's, 
sort of told to you as a uh, a warning as much as anything, right? Like, and I'll tell you right now, the first thing I thought of as this movie started to unfold, and especially when we get the story of what Krampus is later on from the grandmother, I thought this is like that old crazy grandpa at the beginning of Silent Night, Deadly Night, that tells the kid, like, Santa Claus is coming to punish you and all this stuff. And it's like the most awful thing ever, but... I, I get it. I'm like, man, maybe they just kind of took some of that from uh, from that folklore too. So I'm a big fan of that schlocky, you know, series. And I, so I've yeah. never seen a Jay, so I'll take a word. <laughs> well, someday we'll we'll correct that problem, but uh, not this year, thank goodness. But no. yeah, okay, yeah, here we are. We're not going to review something like you know, the, you know, so, like, you know, it's it's a wonderful life or anything like that. But we'll get right into like Deadly Nights or Silent Night, what, Deadly Night. What? What? Like why do something everyone else? already knows so <laughs> when have we ever hey, done you know the thing what? everybody I'll, else likes I'll, I'll tell you this though i've never seen it's a wonderful life i've seen so many <laughs> like plays on it as far as like simpsons episodes and south park episodes that i don't think i ever really need to see it so. I, I, again i think it's one of those things you probably know even if you've never seen it but i'll do the the do I, i'm still working on my Four years ago now, it was uh, New Year's resolution that I was going to read Moby Dick before I watched another Friday the 13th movie. I still hadn't made it through that one. But um, as the uh, fans of our Shocktober series now know. But yeah, anyway. Smell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, let's uh, let's get into this, though, a little bit. And I want to talk about, I, I guess the thing to do, I want to set up our families here. Because really all this. No, no, no. But we got to talk about the opening. And I really okay. think that that kind of like, it kind of sets what I what I feel is the tone of this movie. Okay. And I don't know have you ever been out Black Friday shopping? I guess that's the first oh, thing we gotta ask oh, you. Oh yes. And I have worked in retail during Black Friday shopping and to a scene very similar to the mad rush that happens at the beginning of this movie. I've been out Black Friday shopping once and I was almost arrested. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it would fit you. I, I'm glad you refrained. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the, we bring that up because the opening of this movie is, of course, what I'm assuming is Black Friday, where they are showing all the stores and all the retails and just how, you know, we're supposed to be entering the time of togetherness and families coming together and friends and just, you know, everybody, you know, being good to each other. And it starts off, you know, basically the Christmas season on like the most inhumane day of the year and that would be black friday and that's what they show in the beginning of this movie is essentially the shops opening up the malls opening up and people just running through and you know old men having heart attacks because you know the you know the crowd pushing them around and people ripping up toys and everything and it kind of transitions then into a christmas play where then we do meet the family and what happens then is during that we see that max is uh actually getting into a fight with another kid and everything like that. And I think it kind of just shows like the type of, you know, it's just kind of showing the character and everything of this, especially the family as well. So I guess with that, you know, being said, we can get into well, this family and everybody who's a part of this. That opening though, you're right, is important because it sets the tone for this movie immediately as this is going to be every bad thing that you can think of about the holiday which is you know people often think about oh the shopping and all the insanity but yet they still participate in it look he is going to take a direct run at that the, like this and these attitudes and the way these people are uh, it's not that they all hate each other is that they don't know how to relate to each other anymore because the family is all about consumerism and work and all this other stuff he's he's going right for the goat our director is here 
from the mm-hmm. beginning, and I dug it. And I'll tell you the other thing, too, that really sold me on this. Kid actors in movies are always a crapshoot, and in horror movies in particular. And we've talked about some of this stuff in other films where it just does not work. And a lot of it's because they, you know, they have no way of understanding the world in a sensible way that, that makes their emotions make any sense, and they're usually being lied to about what they're in. But the kids in this movie, and I'm talking about all of them, but particularly the Ingles here, I love Max and Beth. I think they are so true to form millennial teenagers and the fact that they're close to one another. You know, it used to be the rip in the movies was that the older sister hated the brother because, you know, eh, he's a creep and she's just a girl and all this stuff. And nowadays, like, honestly, that's not how it is anymore. Siblings are way closer than they were like when I was growing up and stuff like that. Like they really care about each other. She tries to keep them out of trouble. They have a good relationship going on. And the fact that he does stuff like he does at this Christmas play, he doesn't really get in any trouble for it. Like his parents are so like, whatever, you know, about all of it. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I thought it was, it was a great take on modern family dynamics. I mean, you tell me is, you're the one, you're is. the one with a kid. I mean, I don't know, but I just see that. Is. Yeah, it is. I, I think. It's it's almost like a weird inverse, I think, with the way like siblings are today that I think because we're so like almost like unconnected from each other with all technology and stuff like that, that people we're not necessarily in each other's space so much. Right. You know what I mean? If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I and get that, it. Yeah. And I think by that way, we're able to kind of become closer because we're not just like like, you know, we grew up or something with our siblings, how you know, we shared bedrooms and, you know, we were always, you know, if you basically, you know, you're playing with toys or trying to fight for the TV where everybody today has kind of got their own stuff. But yet I think they're also, because of that, it gives them a little bit of space and they can actually come to appreciate each other. But I think that's kind of like, you know, kind of showed in that relationship with Max and his sister. And also, you know, I think just parenting today is a little bit different. Like, you know, if I saw my kid get into a fight with another kid. You know what? I'm not going to sit there and be like the guy who's going to scold them. I'm going to find out what happened. If my kid was on the right, I'd be like, well, I hope you got a good shot at him or something. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. kind of, if I was a kid and it was a fight, it'd be like, it doesn't matter if I was in the right. I'm in trouble. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. That, that's how I grew up too. And that's the thing that I like about the family dynamic here is because you've got a husband and wife, but you've also got his mother who's elderly, but is, you know, obviously she's not there visiting. She lives, with you know, call her Omi. They call her by her first name, which is very, you know, modern and very, you know, that's different. But their whole dynamic mm-hmm. is, is very modern. And like, it's not like they don't like each other. They're just all like up in their own stuff. Like he gets a phone call about work and Tony Collette's like, hey, I thought you said no work during the holidays. Well, I'm not working, but I got to take a few calls, you know? And so he oh, goes. Oh, that is, see, like that, <laughs> yeah. that's the whole thing with like those families. It just, it reminds me a lot of my family. And especially like, I'm talking about, like my nuclear family with my wife and my kid is like, you know, especially, you know, we're, we're, you know, solid middle class people in America and stuff like that. And I, I since my wife gets annoyed with me a lot because of my job, because <laughs> yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll be the same thing. I mean, we'll be in vacation in Disney World and I'm taking work calls and she'll yep. say she said the same exact thing to me. She's like. I thought we were on vacation, and I'm like, well, well I am, but I still got to take this. You yeah, know what I see, mean? And that's happened to me, too, even in what I do, working at colleges and stuff. I get calls during the holidays. I'm always having to do something. I mean, I, I may be off for, like, a good extended time during the holiday break, and it's one of the, the joys of what I do for a living. But I assure you, people, I, I do still work. I have to check in my email. I've got to, you know, make sure things are running right in the system. I, You know, it, and but that's modern families, right? Like, yeah, that's the thing. It, it's like it is. People it, from, it's, it's always trying to explain to your spouse 
else too that it's like mm-hmm. you got to understand i got to keep above my head above water because if i don't i don't necessarily have to do this but when i get right. back to work it's going to be 10 times worse if i don't just take this right now exactly and and also you know there's the whole thing of like well the reason we're able to do this is because i take these calls so i've got to go do that now you know and mm-hmm. and, and and it's also the the thing that flies in the face of the old world there you know his his mother who really could be his grandmother for goodness sakes but you know his mom is there quite elderly and you can tell like that just sort of brushes her like she's oh she can't stand it you know and i can totally understand that like my grandmother if my phone rings when i had a work phone when it rang at the holidays she was like what are you doing and i was like this is just you know what you have to do and it is it is the way of the world it's so different and what's funny now is we've got a generation of people who are now uh, middle-aged adults you know which is what these you know people are supposed to be and where we are and now have teenage kids who are in, that in between being a kid and an adult where now they've grown up in that world too so you got really two generations of people that understand that's just how it is and they don't know any mm-hmm. different like they wouldn't know what to do if you cut all that stuff off and that's part of the fun of this movie is the power gets turned off at some point and they're all just kind of sitting around the fire looking at each other they don't know what to do <laughs> you know and, which is that's everybody's fear at the holidays that I'm going to actually have to have a conversation with people I don't want to talk to and <laughs> and but I like our family dynamic of, of our angles here I really do dig them, and I give a lot of that to Adam Scott and Tony Collette. Tony Collette is a fantastic actress. Adam Scott is a funny guy who can just play the put-upon dad really well, I think. And the two kids here, I think they do a good job. I, I dig this family. Yeah, Adam Scott, he kind of is almost like an offshoot of his character from uh, Step Brothers. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of like is. Yeah. Successful business guy, but he's he's not an up up in your face jerk in this one. He's yeah, just, he's not. He's, he's not actually, Billy Zavka from the '80s. He's not that Cobra Kai hateful guy. Like you actually kind of like this guy, you know? Yeah, he seems like he's a pretty good dad. Yeah, and and that's the thing is like he he you know he tries to relate to his kids. He's trying to have a relationship with them, and they're not overbearing parents. The girl wants to go see her boyfriend, and the mom's like, "Okay, but come back in a couple hours," you know? I mean, she doesn't mm-hmm. like give her a hard time about it. And I'm like, "Well, that's exactly how my students talk to their parents," you know? That's that's it. So I get it. I. I I dug that, and I, I especially liked, immediately I could tell, like, the the thing that epitomizes the old world versus the new world is, you know, mom's in there cutting out gingerbread cookies by hand, doing it the old way, right? And <laughs> Adam Scott comes up behind her, Tom, is like, I don't do too many of these. Uh, Sarah bought a bunch of them. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> I'm like, at some point I thought, oh, she's going to become the evil thing. You know, I thought she was Krampus for a minute, but that isn't how it turns out. <laughs> We got to talk about, though, their, like, uh, their family that comes to visit them, right? So this is Linda, who is – now, get, let me get the relationship right. Linda is Tom's sister. Is that right? No, I think no. That, was, that was his wife's sister. Okay, so this is his wife's sister. Okay, this makes more sense now. This is his wife's sister and her husband and their four children and their aunt. I guess uh, her sister and uh, Sarah's aunt that come to visit yep. them. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. They got they got you know. This is almost like exactly like Christmas vacation when you really it, think it really about is the family. Yeah, it is. I mean, you got you got you got your nuclear family right there, and then you got the the less well to do family that's coming in, where the 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 wife and then the 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 wife the wife of the other family are related, and then you got kind of the uh, Uncle Eddie who's played, of course, <laughs> like I said, I brought up the Office. He played Todd Packer on the Office. Yes. Oh, this guy, David Kegner is amazing and it's because he can he can play 
like you said, a cousin Eddie. He's sort of a modern day Randy Quaid, and he kind of plays that. He's he's got a little bit of redneck in him. And I didn't take him so much as not to be well to do. It's just that they were more rural, where this was definitely the city family. You know, like they See, were I, I, they I were camo not, I, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's got a nice car. I mean, he's got a big ass Hummer. But I took it as they weren't as well to do because of Max's letter. Right, that right. He was talking about them being a little bit on hard times, which today, I mean, you look at like you look at the Engel family. I mean, they're obviously upper upper mid class as far as how they're living stuff like that. So, you know, they could just be lower mid class. I mean, that's just how they view them. But right. all, all in all, what you got to know about this family is they are more rural. I mean, they're they're more of like you know they're they're rednecks. I mean, that's just <laughs> what it is. Yeah, and. And they have, you know, three kids, two older daughters, and then a younger son. And the two older daughters are essentially, you know, they're tomboys. I mean, they're, they're dressed in camo mm-hmm. and they're wrestling with each other and they're they're kind of mean. I mean, they're, they're they're mean girls, but not in the way like the mean girls are mean girls in that movie. They're just kind of like bully boys. But yeah, I mean, like tales. <laughs> they. I mean, I think I forget if it's Max or if it's Beth that says it that. You know, their father treats them like the sons he never had, and now he has a son, and we'll talk about Howie Jr. in a sec, but, you know, like, he's not all there, clearly. He's sort of like a lump of wood. And so, they're they're tomboys. Like you said, they're tomboys, and they're girls. And I look, I grew up around girls like this. Who, if you like, if you did the '80s transformation with them, you know, like you cleaned them up a little bit or whatever, they were gorgeous, and nobody ever knew it. But mostly, they just wore jeans and camo, and they cursed a lot, and could drink beer better than the guys, and they could shoot better than the guys that were better hunters, and they were they were tom girls, they're tom boys, and so yeah. I I knew that, so I totally dug what it was. And you've got poor Max over there who is like metrosexual in training. You know, because that's who his dad is. And yep. then you've got those girls that are like, what? <laughs> and I, I got a kick out of their uh, playoff of one another. Yeah, I mean, you got Max, who's he, he's obviously a sensitive kid. I mean, he kind of shows it that he, you know, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And then you got these two girls, which are, you know, they're just one step away from having a, having a thing of chew in their mouth. <laughs> I mean, yeah, really. It, I was surprised we didn't get that, actually. Yep, and then, of course, you got the younger brother there who, man, this kid reminded me, and it's going to come up again, too, as we get into the movie, the fat kid from Willy Wonka. That's what he reminded me of. It was like a cross between the fat kid from Willy Wonka and the fat kid from Bad Santa. Well, I thought he was the fat kid from Goonies, too. Like, that, I I was getting a little bit of chunk off of him. Yeah, except for he doesn't have the personality of chunk. He's just, all he wants to do is eat, and he doesn't, he's probably got to be on the spectrum somewhere. I don't think he, he I don't think he has a line in the film. (laughs) He may have a couple, like, mumbling lines as he's chewing food, but yeah, he seems like he's, He's got well, some I mean, type of issue. He, he gets likes taken by, by Krampus because they lower a gingerbread cookie with a hook on it down the chimney, <laughs> and he bites it, and the gingerbread cookie kicks his ass. <laughs> that's how that's how he gets him. And I thought, well, that's perfect. That is exactly the fat trope. You know, the yeah. fat kid gets taken out by the food, of course. <laughs> so. But then, of course, then what we had, and then there's another baby. There's a baby there who's just, you know, the baby to have a baby there, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, m- makes you kind of worry a little bit more about them. Cause of course no one wants to see anything happen to a baby. And then of course you got aunt Dorothy. Aunt oh, Dorothy is awesome. I, I, love I wish I had an aunt like aunt Dorothy. I keep, she is like the foul mouth. Like she's almost like, I don't know. It's just, I had to, to put look. It it's almost like, 
if you I, could like take like Whoopi Goldberg and make her like a fat white woman, where it's just she's she's pretty cool. Like you'd like you totally want her around Christmas because you know she's gonna get drunk, say something stupid, and then probably pee her pants throughout the night. It's the part Melissa McCarthy is twenty years too young to play, but she will someday in her life. Yeah, I'll tell you what she is. I I had to look it up and make sure this wasn't Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates has started to play this role now in her later years, Academy Award winner Kathy Bates, and she does exactly the same. So like you yep. said, she's you can tell like she's either divorced or widowed, and she doesn't give a damn what anybody thinks. She's going to say it and put it out there. And the funny thing for me is I actually have an Aunt Dorothy who is not this person at all. Let me just say that now. She's a very different personality. But it made me chuckle when they would say that because my Aunt Dorothy is one of those people that can get people to laugh, too. And I just thought, oh, this would be hilarious if it was you know, my Aunt Dorothy. But, yeah, I got a kick out of her. <laughs> but I, I loved her, too, because, again, she's, she's the conscience of the audience and everybody else. She says the stuff nobody else is willing to say. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a she's a real fun character and one like I didn't understand why she was there when I first started watching it, but when I was really glad she was throughout the movie because she is she's almost like exactly what you're saying. She's like what the audience wants to say a lot of times when you know there's a little bit of silence in the movie or just them talking. She just has no filter and it's it's great. No, it's it's really good. And we get them in the house. Like I say, it's all about we have this Christmas dinner that is hell on earth, right? I mean, it's, you know, I, I love the, the interplay between Howard and Tom. Where Tom's like, this tastes really good. And Howard's like, mine's a little dry. And Tom's like, it's the same friggin' bird. You know, it's like, would well, you want mine? You know, and, <laughs> and I love that they have that back and forth with each other. And uh, and the thing with the kids and all. But it, it does, the, underneath all of this is good exposition happening between Omi, the grandmother, and Max. Because she's on him about, have you written your Christmas letter, right? And he asks his dad, like, do you really believe in all this stuff? And, and that's really what's at, at heart here, right, is that... Max knows that Santa Claus is something for the smaller kids, right? And he mm -hmm. and there's this bully that's trying to tell them all that, and he stands up to the bully because he's like, I didn't want the smaller kids to have it told to them that way. You know, you learn that on yeah. your own. You don't learn that because some jerk blows it for you in in grade school, right? And I I understood that. I kind of liked that about him, that he had a good heart. Like you said, you could tell he was a kid that wore his heart on his sleeves, and I think his grandmother knows that too. And so she's still trying to kind of keep that Christmas magic alive because, as we know, now she knows what the hell happens if you don't keep it, and clearly nobody else in the house has a chance. Yeah, and I think that her whole thing too is trying to protect his innocence a little bit. She sees that he's you know good of heart, and I think she's you know you know trying to encourage him to keep on going and everything. But like at, at this Christmas table, what happens is that he did write a letter to Santa Claus, and of course the two tomboy cousins get a hold of the letter and then they read it out loud to everybody. And it's actually it's a pretty sweet letter if it does have a little bit of condescending remarks about his family, but you really can't blame him for what the stuff that he says in there. I mean, essentially he brings up in the letter that, you know, that his uncle wishes that the two girls were boys. And yeah. but he hopes that, you know, this is why I said, you know, like they seem like they're kind of down on their luck and he basically mm -hmm. wishes that, you know, Santa Claus can help him out a little bit and stuff this year. But of course the girls, you know, are complete assholes to him and he ends up taking <laughs> the letter upstairs and you know he basically turns it around where he just kind of wish you know says screw it rips up the letter and just kind of essentially throws his innocence out the window because it's not you know like it was just mm -hmm. that was the last little bit for him to be broken and it breaks him see and i love this twist this trope about be careful what you wish for 
Like, I'm going way back now here to people that listen to the artist laying the Buffy show that Brian and I used to do. There's a great episode in season three where Cordelia, one of the, the characters, says, I wish Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And she gets her wish. And, of course, it's hell on Earth because the vampires have overrun the damn town, you know, because Buffy's not there to kill them all. And Boy. she gets killed and, and, like, everything goes bad. And I can think about, though, like, when you're a kid – you will you will have those irrational thoughts, and even as an adult, you can have these irrational thoughts. But as, as a kid in particular, you get that he's like, "I'm, you know what? Screw it. Y'all aren't worth it anymore." You know, he tried to be nice, and they threw it back in his face, and so he's like, "Screw it," and he just sort of, like you say, his innocence breaks right there. The fact that there's consequences for that, though, that's the twist of this movie. Because normally that would just be like he becomes this hardened, you know, start smoking cigarettes and listening to rock and roll music. No. Oh, he's going to bring you know complete and utter eternal doom upon his family because of this. And I don't think it's necessarily because you know, like yeah, he, you know, he might have been the. I'm not going to say he was the cause of it. I think it was just the breaking point for finally, you know, essentially oh, that this I, family, you know, especially mm-hmm. like the the rednecks family getting what they deserved as far as just being kind of nasty people. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it, when you're you know home about Buffy, you know, it goes back. You know, it's 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 a common trope that you see, like the whole like be careful what you wish for. I mean, it goes back to stories like you know the monkey's paw, where it's like you wish for something, but it's going to be something completely, you know. Yeah, your wish is going to be fulfilled, but not in the way that you expected See, or and wanted. That, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's a whole group of people that grew up thinking that your wish fulfillment was like Aladdin with Robin Williams. And if you go back and read those old stories and stuff, it was always, the genie was always screwing you over some way. Like, you yeah. wish you got it, but then, boy, you really regretted it later on, you know? And, I, you know, again, it's nothing new, but to put that at Christmas and to have a little folklore tied into it, I thought it was it was cool and it was smart and it was fun. And that's what I was reacting to was just how how much more fun all of that plays off. And, again, I'll put it to our actors here. They're doing a good job of selling me on all this, too. Yeah, it kind of reminds me. I don't know if you ever seen the either the 1967 movie or the remake in 2000, the movie called Bedazzled. Yes, where, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the guy, the guy make the guy meeting the devil and stuff like that, and wishing for stuff, and it always is like it's going to be a complete twist on what you on what you wish for. Exactly. Yeah, and, th- and that's a cute movie too, though, especially the remake. The, the I've never seen the one with Dudley Moore, but I know what it is. But the one with with Brendan Fraser and and uh, what's her name, Liz, Liz, Hur- Liz Hurley. Yeah, Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah. Th- Watching him, like, I want to be rich and powerful, so she makes him a Colombian drug lord. You know, well, you kind of got what you wanted, but it wasn't how you wanted it. And I love what he comes to understand. It's like, hey, you know, I can't really wish somebody to be with me or whatever. I just, you know, and so he does the selfless act, which gets him out of it. So I've now reviewed that movie. There you go, folks. But so we don't have to do the bedazzled retrospective now, Nick. But but the thing about this one, and this is the cool part of this, is there is no way out of it. (laughs) <laughs> like in the end, that's that's the cool part of this is so many times the trope is what can I do? What selfless thing can I do to, you know, win myself back? What can I turn the tide on? And all it does is just makes Krampus laugh and throw him in the pit anyway. And so I that's the, the ultimate cool about this is once you've watched it and you know that the, I, you can go back and rewatch this movie and go, you know, none of it's going to make any difference. Like no matter what they do, they are doomed from the time he tears that letter up and it summons this you know being mm-hmm. 
And what what happens then? You know, of course, when that happens, is we get the you know the DHL guy comes to the house, delivers a package, yeah. And after that happens, all hell breaks loose, and yeah. Essentially, what happens is the power goes out, and you know, there's no electricity, there's no nothing, nothing's working, and you get the daughter, and she's all worried about her boyfriend. You know, she's either you know skyping with him or texting him or Facebook messaging him or whatever, and she wants to go make sh- you know go make sure he's all right, and you know just probably get away from the family too. I mean, be exactly. honest. I mean, they they got to sit around here and be talking to each other, and she looks over, and of course she sees like the two female girls like wrestling, and she's like, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah, I can't even the mom's do like, this. when you get back, I want you to have some girl time with them, and she's. <laughs> And she's like, there's no girl time to be had with them. They're not girls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she goes over here. And I actually think this is like one of my favorite parts of the movie is she's walking down this snowy, dark road. She goes and she sees the DHL truck with the driver and he's frozen solid inside the truck. Yeah. And it's like, what the heck is going on? And all of a sudden, you, we, get, we get to see Krampus for the first time. You know, we, we get to see him. He's on top of the neighbor's roofs. And it's... It's it's awesome just the the sound of this movie when this is happening and him running on the roofs and the sounds that he's making and her running away and this is the part during the movie where like my son was on my arm as far as this this was scaring him with Krampus and of course she's got nowhere to hide so she hides underneath a truck and Krampus comes down and you get to see you know a little bit more of him that he's got hoofs for you know hind legs and he's walking around and then he leaves like a little uh, jack in the box there for her. And then all suddenly it's kind of like boom, and that scene's done, and you don't know what happened to her, but you can pretty much put two and two together. Oh, I love the fact that she is an is basically an off screen kill, and I'm like, they killed the teenage daughter, like out of the gate. I thought it would, you know, when watching this again, I knew nothing about how this was going to go. I'm like, this girl and his sister, who's already been set up to be close with, like they care about each other, right? So this is modern, you know, millennial children here. They're going to have to band together to beat Krampus. And I'm like, well, no, she's dead underneath the friggin' truck. You know, 30 Ooh. minutes into this, I was like, holy cow. It totally got my attention. And then I was it like, you know what? That's the purpose of this, though. It's supposed to get my attention. And now, again, having watched it, I realize there's an inevitability factor to all of this that is absolutely amazing. No matter what these people do, it is never going to work for them. Yep. And she disappears. Like, you don't see remnants. You don't know nothing. Uh, you just know what happened to her because you can hear the sound of the crunch underneath the, the car, and you never see her again until the end when they're in the snow globe hell or whatever it is. And I love that, though. I thought it was great because... It gives. It also gives a good excuse for the two men to go leave the house again. You know, you're in a. Yeah, you have no power, but you know what? You got a fireplace. You got plenty of wood. You got food. You got. You got what you need to sort of get by there. And they have to have an excuse to get out and to go get the teenage daughter. Yeah, that makes total sense. And so to get Tom and Howard out, I liked that as the uh, inciting incident, if you will. And the whole thing too is the first time you watch this, though, you don't know if she's dead. I mean, you kind of yeah. Can- kind of think about it but like i said i was going in this movie and i didn't know if this was going to be more comedy or more horror if it's going to be like 50 50 so part of me is thinking like okay she's probably going to show up later or she's going to be alive and krampus hasn't you know killed her he's just holding him hostage or something so that's what's going on in the back of my mind but you know as we get you know further into the movie where you know you got both of those people you know the, the dad and the uncle they're going out you know looking for her and stuff and of course 
the uncle's got a gun in his car. I mean, typical redneck and stuff. He's he's he comes to a Christmas party loaded. <laughs> oh, they're all loaded for bear. Like he hands Tom a, a rifle and he's like, "This is heavy." Yeah, it's Linda's. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, the whole family's into this," but I know families like this. You know, really. And so I totally get it. I'm like, "Yeah, I, I get it." You know, people people walk around with weapons on them all the time. So yep. yeah. But but, I, but what I like though is like when they're when they're out searching, they get over to you know her boy boyfriend's house and you see that it's just destroyed you know and i, I think yeah. one of the coolest things is like the chimney is like completely like split open and then they see like the goof of prints everywhere so it's like instead of them you know i, I thought they were probably going to go like explore the house or something and end up but no they end up just getting out of there and going back no, to the house I, yes they do the smart thing they get the hell out of that house i i was watching this going like how many stupid horror movies would they hang around that house too long no and it also told me something else krampus is like will money and unforgiven he'll kill you he'll shoot your dog you'll burn down your house he'll kill your friggin' boyfriend like he he comes for you and he takes out everybody near and dear to you you know like i'm surprised there's not a scene of the bullies and the kids at the school all getting killed too that max tried to protect because i mean really he goes to why else would he go kill that boyfriend she never got anywhere close to him so yeah. you know he was bait essentially for krampus and i i do like that though i like that they get out of there and i got this whole like candy man goes christmas vibe with the way that that chimney was split and everything i was like oh man that looks like a candy man rip i i really dug that i thought it was cool yeah it was really cool and then of course when they're coming back to the house we get um essentially it's it's, it's they, they pull it from trimmers where we get this thing we don't ever really see it and it's underneath the snow and it's coming up to him it's you know trying to essentially drag him underneath the snow and drag him away but they end up getting you know in, they end up shooting at it and getting it away, but it kind of sets up why they can't leave the house now is because there's there's something out there in the snow that's going to grab them, and the only safe place for them is in their house. Exactly, and it's a, the best thing again. It's a creature we don't see. We don't, and we don't have to because the effect works under the snow. As old as a trick as that is, right? It still works because. You know, we're afraid of that. It obviously it's not something they can just defeat on their own. So it it worked. I thought that was a great invention too, because the reason they're in the house the whole time is because they're trying to keep this you know affordable as a film. So it it minimizes the set decoration and everything. You keep everything localized. It also makes the horror movie work better because people can't split up even in a big house they're all around the fireplace right so it keeps everybody yeah. tucked in together and now they're really afraid to walk out the door so i dug it i mean i like the the star like monster or whatever the hell that was under the snow <laughs> <laughs> yep and so but then again they go again and they do something smart is they start boarding up the house because yes. It's not like they're going to get back in and one of them's going to be like, oh, we saw this. And the other guy's going to be like, well, we don't know what we saw and all this stuff. And there's no like argument about it. It's just an understanding like something really effed up is going on right now. And we got to board this up and we got to wait this out till morning. So they start, you know, boarding up the house and everything. And I just again, I think it's just showing again, these characters are, you know, smart. And I like that. That is even as stupid as like the redneck family was coming off in the beginning is that they still have some bit of common sense in them. And, yeah. you know, of course, you know, Beth, you know, she wants not not Beth, but uh, Sarah, the wife, you know, she's basically on them. You know, like we got to go find Beth. We got to go find Beth. And, you know, the husband, as much as it's like you probably imagine he wants to go out there and search for his daughter. He knows that it's not going to accomplish anything at this point. 
No. And I think, it, and I, and I think yeah. he kind of already probably can put two and two together. Probably doesn't want to believe it. He's not going to come back there and say that to his wife, but he knows right now the most important thing is protecting what he has left at this point. Well, yeah, and I mean, let's just sum up what happens to them while they're outside. They make it to the DHL truck, too, and then uh, Krampus attacks Howard and bites him on the leg, and uh, Tom ends up shooting at him and shooting him and, you know, scaring him away, basically. And I don't. I, I like the fact that Tom, the city-fied, you know, doesn't know what he's doing guy, actually becomes a little macho and a hero, and Howard kind of becomes a little crying bitch there. He's. I mean, he gets hurt, and he's like, oh, you know. And I mean, but I love the fact too that there's no argument about what happened. He's like, no, it was a snake. He's like, no, I don't know what the hell that was, but we ain't going back out there, you know. And yep. I, I love that there's no argument about that from then on, and it actually like bonds them. Like it, because they talk, there's I think Howard has a line. He's like, "Look, I'm starting to like you because you saved my life, and you're not the big pansy I thought you were. So don't don't be pushing it, you know." And so I I dug that as, as you know I have brothers-in-law who are like they're both like I admire the heck out of them because they're they're the rough and tumble military you know gung ho GI Joe kind of dudes. I could never do any of that kind of crap, you know. So I I get the relationship there a little bit, and it's funny to me to to see. Um, but I, uh, the next attacks, though, are what's great, man, because you realize how screwed they are because they go up in the attic and there's presents there. And I'm already having like sinister flashbacks. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Don't touch these things. When they get back to the house, I think it's just it's funny because the, you can, I mean, it's not funny, but the, you could tell the grandma she's she knows something and she's not saying it. And she you got she's got that look in her eyes and, you know, it's getting late at night and. It's there's a big concentrated effort on we got to keep that fire going we got to keep it up got to keep it up and of course you know the uncle he's he says you know I'll take first watch I'll stay awake and of course he falls asleep and then the fire goes out and then what happens is we get the little fishing line down there with a little gingerbread guy on it who happens to wake up the fat kid of course. <laughs> and yeah, so then the fat kid goes over there and he wants to eat the gingerbread man and he ends up getting pulled up through the chimney. Of course, it wakes everybody up. They grab him, trying to hold him down, but he ends up getting slid up through the chimney. Very much like Willy Wonka where uh, the fat German kid got sucked up the uh, chocolate chute. And it was yeah. just very, very familiar of that. But it just, you know, again, it's just, it's funny in a way because like, you know, you got the little gingerbread guy down there and he's making all these little funny, like almost like minion noises to be able to get the kid over there. And again, it's it's terrifying yet hilarious at the same time. Well, it plays off of uh, of something you understand. It's that this is how you would tempt that kind of person. And so it totally works in that regard, you know. And again, because, and I'll say one thing too, like in the hands of another director, like the gore factor would be over the top and that would unsettle us. Like I, you know, if the little kid gets pulled up the chimney and gets killed, I can live with that in this kind of movie because I'm not seeing his arms fall around and I'm not getting the Rob zombie effect. You know what I mean? Like he's not doing that kind of stuff. So they, he knows how to make it horrific without making it overly bloody. Also, yeah, there's, to think there's, there, to, there's no yeah. blood or gore. And also, yeah. I mean, again, I'm just going to bring up the fact is we don't know if they're being killed or not. You know what I mean? Right. Again, without having any blood or gore, it's kind of just, in a way, relieving the audience in a way that you're seeing like all this horrific thing, like especially happened to kids now, two kids in a row, but it's not done in a horrific way. And it also still leaves you wondering if they're still alive or if they are killed. Well, but it is the horror movie pickoff. Like we're starting to take out <laughs> the, the people and we do get like, I love how this is all grandma's fault sort of basically we get a reveal here you know before we get to the attic she tells everybody 
I was the last person that, and uh, I love that the flashback is like animated. You know, it's it's like the old it's, animated it's, Gumby. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's know? almost like a, it's claymation. It's it's yeah. going back. It's 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 a pull on you know the old classic Christmas movies that we watch as kids. I mean, you know, Ra- Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. You know, the Santa Claus movie, Frosty the Snowman, where it's all done in the uh, stop motion claymation. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's the same look. And what it is is uh, Omi reveals you know her her as a child, and she did the same thing as Max, where she wished this happened, and all of a sudden like, Krampus came and took her entire family away, and it all happens while she's in bed. And of course, you know, she's peeking over the sheet and then she sees the uh, silhouette of Krampus in the background and he kind of gives her a wink. And then the big thing is that he leaves her an ornament. It's right. like one of those bell ornaments that says Krampus on it, kind of as a way to like, don't ever forget. <laughs> exactly. And and she's carried that for all this time. And what's funny is she's like been speaking, I don't know, German, Austrian, something the whole time. And everybody's just talking to her back in English, but they understand what she says. And and we don't get any subtitles or anything. And then she starts speaking in English. And Aunt Dorothy's like, friggin' English, told you. <laughs> and I was like, I, that, apparently there had been an argument in the car ride up about that. So, But it, it's another layer of the Dorothy. But I like how this is pretty much all her fault. You know, and this is this is what I thought was going to happen just from the outset of this thing. I was like, she's going to be involved in this somehow. And the fact that they choose to reveal it like this, this is a great choice. I mean, director's choice here. Brilliant idea, because we've seen a billion flashbacks with actors. Why not give us something we haven't seen? And like you said, play on that thing that we all know. We're all familiar with Frosty and Rudolph and, and those stories. And just you know, turn it into this horrific story is is just great. And I uh, I really dug the story here because now I mean they the the secrets out of the bag. We know what's happening, and it's yeah. so what can we do about it? Well, it kind of reminded me of uh, Harry Potter, one of the last ones when they're doing the uh, Deathly Hallows flashback. Yeah, where you yeah. kind of get like the animated thing. But I think w- what it does is it also gives her you know c- it kind of opens up a little bit of her motivation in the earlier of the movie where. You know, she's trying to have her youngest grandson not lose his Christmas faith because that's what she did and that's what brought that upon her family. So in a way, you know, she was always trying to protect him and protect the family, saying, Don't lose it. You know what I mean? You're 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 you gotta keep this with you. You know, it's not only good, but it's gonna, you know, it keeps keeps us safe. Exactly. And literally it keeps them safe. Of course, now they can't do it. So we get to the attic and I love how Krampus has laid out all these like presents that are essentially like his minions to do his will up there. And I'm again, I told you I had I had sinister flashbacks and I had time bandits flashbacks. I was like, oh, that's a piece of evil. Don't touch that. And sure enough, <laughs> it all hell breaks loose when they touch the things the the evil gingerbreads come out and start wreaking yeah. havoc on that that family. But they kill the two daughters and Yeah, uh, well, yeah. what what was was you know if we go back to we're talking about the dhl guy and his delivery package that's what he delivered he delivered it was krampus delivering the presents and within those presents was basically you know uh just a bunch of these like weird creature monsters well it was a ticking uh, time bomb just waiting to go off you know yep so yeah so the the uh two you know redneck girls are you know, taken by him and oh man, this the one scene with like the Jack in the Box guy when he's eating the yeah. dog. Oh, that is messed up. That the face that opens up, that predator looking face. That yeah. was amazing looking. I was like, wow, that that was a nice effect. Like again, we talked about there's not a ton of gore in this movie, but there's some good monster stuff. And I was like, that's a good looking practical effect. And that's I want to emphasize that. That is a practical piece of, of you know rubber and makeup that they made that work. And it 
it looks awesome. It looks better than anything they could do with computer effects. I mean, oh, it's great. And then also, you know, during, there's, you know, up there, you got the Jack in the Box guy. You got the uh, teddy bear who's got, the, you know, the nasty teeth. You got the uh, snow, you got the uh, angel that's supposed to go on top of the Christmas tree that comes alive. <laughs> it's with evil, wings. Yes. Yeah, a little demon thing. <laughs> and uh, also wh why this is happening downstairs is the uncle, he's fighting off the uh, three evil gingerbread men. <laughs> I guess they were named Lumpy, Dumpy, and Clumpy. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. I, I loved that scene with them. I mean, it's the only like real like, you know, obvious CGI scene in here is when he's fighting them in the kitchen and, you know, they're attacking him. I just I love the sounds that they're making. And then they um they have uh, candy canes, the sharpened yes. candy canes trying to attack him. Of course, he he blows them apart with the shotgun. And all I'm thinking, too, is I'm like, man, if that was my house, I'd be kind of mad that there's going to be uh, shotgun holes all in the hardwood floor, man. That's going to cost a fortune to have to replace that. Hey, that ain't his house. He don't care. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Howard's That's got true. that Hummer. He don't care. So No, but really, I mean, you're right. We get like all the it's like watching the Shrek gingerbread man fight, but better. You know, it's the same. It's the same thing as if they're evil. And this felt like this is the the thing that felt most like trick or treat to me. I was like, this is just we're just playing in a sandbox. We know at this point. Yep. And I, I loved that, though. I mean, I was I was down for that. And the fact that it just keeps going and going. And what we ultimately learn is you said it in the plot summary. Krampus is essentially like devouring these people by throwing them in his Sarlacc pit that he can like carry around with him. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And well, what happens, though, is like, you know, the two girls are taken. And I think this is like it's a funny scene because like the uh, the jack in the box guy, like he's using like the uh, cold air, the uh, air, air returns to crawl around in, and he ends up breaking through the ceiling <laughs> and they're about to off him. And also he does like this little like clapping motion. And also like Krampus's elves all come through the door and they end up taking, uh, you know, Howard, the uncle, they end up taking Aunt Dorothy and then they grab the get baby and then they leave. So it's, you know, they, they eliminated quite a few people in this uh, big attack. And all that's left now is Max's dad, his mom and the aunt at this point. Right, yeah, so we, we've really whittled the cast down at this point. And they're going to go about dispatching with each of them in a pretty uh, uh, quick fashion. Like, the thing about this movie is that it's 98 minutes long, and, I mean, it moves at a quick pace. I mean, it's really kind of... I don't know, it's, it's amazing how fast it goes. And I mm -hmm. love how the family decides to make a run for it. And Omi oh. says, I'm going to stay back and, and confront Krampus, which is, of course, always, right? Like, that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she wants to, you know, confront them and, you know, finally face her fears. And he comes down the chimney. And this is when we actually get his, you know, his full reveal. And, you know, he's this big hulking monster with, you know, the hoof legs. And he's got this, like, serpent-like tongue that comes out behind. Like, you know, you never really see his face. You see that it's a mask of Santa Claus over his face. And right. then he's got this tongue that comes through the uh, mouth opening. And he ends up opening up this bag of gifts. And they come out, they attack Omi, and basically just, you know, cuts back to the family. So you know that, you know, she ended up getting it as well. Exactly. Like, the, the bag of toys gets her, right? And then you see Tom, uh, Sarah, and Linda get eaten by a snow creature. You know, and the elves take away the other uh, daughter that was left, right? So Max is the yep. only one left at this point. And I love how Krampus gives him his little bauble thing, you know, with the, with his name wrapped on it. It was in a piece of that shredded Santa letter. And I was yep. like, oh, man, what a what a terrible reveal, right? You know, so 
but you know, this is where the movie usually would end, right? But well, it, it, it could yeah. end, yeah. You know, like yeah. maybe he like you know ends up falling asleep or gets freaked out and he wakes up in the morning and it's you know it's he's he's alone or something like that. But what happens? And again, it just shows you that you know the character of Max is that he realizes that he was the cause of this, especially when he got that you know he gets the uh, bobble and he sees that it's you know right in, in his, with his letter. And he decides that, you know, he's going to go face Krampus and essentially try to bargain with him. He finds him. He's on top of this hill with this big, like, you know, crater opened up with, you know, the fires of hell below it. And he goes up to Krampus and, you know, basically stands him down man to man. And he says, you know, this is my fault. They didn't deserve this. Take me. Bring them back. Just end this. And Yeah, he says, I'm sorry, you know, and all this. He does everything you're supposed to do to get out of it. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to be like, you know, we brought the movie Bedazzled where it's like, oh, he's going to do the selfish act and all suddenly, you know, Krampus is going to disappear and everybody's going to be fine and that, you know, that's going to be the end of the movie and it's like, you know, he learned his lesson, but no, Krampus grabs him and then throws him down into the fiery pit as well and then it cuts to black and I honestly thought that's where the movie was going to end. Yeah. But it, it doesn't and all suddenly it yeah. restarts up. Well, can I talk about one thing, though? He says something, though, that I caught the first time I watched this. I watched this twice for this review, and the second time it just hit me more like a brick. He says, I want Christmas to be like it used to be. And so Krampus essentially says, okay, then, it'll be like it used to be forever. And that's what he gets. I mean, he he throws Max into this pit. Max wakes up. Everybody's there. His sister's there. And she's like, where have you been? We've been waiting on you forever. There's only so many times I can sing Joy to the World or whatever. And he's like, oh, everything's great. And then he opens up that little bobble. And everybody has remembers all of a sudden what happened to him. Yeah, and where they ba- are. And it they- wasn't a bad dream. You know, they're <laughs> no. probably all sitting there thinking they all probably like woke up like, like man, woo. that was a really screwed up <laughs> dream and stuff. But like, yeah. I guess, you know, there's there's discussions on what the end of this movie means, because it's not like mm-hmm. really clearly defined on what happened. Part of what I, you know, like when I was talking with my mom, I was like, oh, did you like that movie and stuff like that? And she's like, yeah, and we we're talking about the ending. And she, you know, my mom totally got a different thing. She thought it would just all went back to normal and the family learned a lesson and that that snow globe was just Krampus watching them, making sure that everything stayed normal where I'm like, no, nah, that's not what I got from it. I'm like, when you watch it, you'll notice that like the the film changes. It has like a more warm hue to it, almost like it's like a old time movie or something like that. And I said, I took it that Krampus eventually has them in a time warp where they're going to have Christmas (laughs) every day for the, you know, for all eternity, you know, they're careful what you wish for. You want a Christmas to be like what it was. Well, it is going to be like it was for all time. That's what I'm saying is like, you realize his wish and how damning it is, is that you're going to be in groundhog day and it's going to be Christmas the way you wanted it forever. (laughs) <laughs> that's yep. what they have to live with. And I was like, man, that's a mind screw. And, and the thing I loved about it is you pull back from the snow globes and that, you know, wretched looking dungeon. He's got them all in and you see all the other ones. and You're like, this is what Krampus does to the families. He takes essentially is he puts them in these perpetual time warps to relive this you know, nightmare over and over again. And my thought was, is like, well, does it stay like Happy Christmas Day? And then they all just realize they have to wake up and do it again forever? Or do they get attacked by Krampus every Christmas and all have to die and then wake up the next day and relive that all the time? 
I take it that it's going to be, they're going to be almost like Beetlejuice where they're going to be trapped in that house and essentially they're just going to keep on waking up every day and it's going to be Christmas. The presents that they got, they're going to open up the same presents. They're going to eat the same food. They're going to have to deal with the same weather, the same things on TV and have to deal with the same people for all eternity. And that last part is the scariest part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, really, that's the thing. I think the dad has a line early in the they're only here for a couple of days, you know, or something like that. And yep. you know, they're there for eternity. So, yep. Yep. That's exactly how I took it. And it's like, yeah, again, it just goes back to, you know, the whole thing with like Krampus is like, you know, careful what you for. Well, Nick, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, what are yours for Krampus? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, even the beginning of this review, I was kind of, you know, wearing my heart on my sleeve for this movie, even though I was trying to be coy with it. But uh, I really love this movie. I mean, this is like just so up my alley. I mean, if you listen to our reviews of movies like Tremors, I'm just I, I'm a fan, uh, just a passionate fan of like 80s, late 80s, like horror movies where they're, you know, Got, got comedy in them, don't take themselves seriously, but are just fun monster flicks. Like The Blob, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, the remake of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I love movies like that. And this was such a such a callback to that. I mean, just like Trick or Treat was, you know, as far as a callback to the Creep Show era, this was a very much like a callback to like The Blob and Trimmers. And it was just it, and like a healthy mix of like Christmas Vacation and a little bit of Gremlins. And again, those are just all movies that I just, I love with a passion. And for me, this is, this is a large popcorn. I can't give an extra large popcorn because I just, I can't give movies like this, like, you know, something like, something like <laughs> Goodfellas or Godfather part two, but it is such a lo- solid, large popcorn. It's definitely, it's part of my Christmas rotation. Um, it's going to be a movie where I only watch around the Christmas time just because it gives me that Christmas feeling. And <laughs> It is. It is. I, I couldn't. It's just like Christmas Vacation, where I really like that movie, but I can't watch it any other time of the year because I'm going to wish Christmas was here. Right. And as as dark as that sounds, like man, you must like really wish bad things would happen to some of your extended family. And that is true. That is true. There is some of my extended family I would like to see be taken by Krampus, but we won't get into that. But just to show you, I'm actually after this review, I am going to go put this on. Just talking about this has <laughs> just got me in the mood to rewatch this. So, very, very strong, large popcorn. I'm going to join you in that large popcorn as a newbie on this, and gl- <laughs> have being glad that it's been introduced to me. This is one I want to show, you know, my family and stuff like that. Because there are certain members of my family that I know will totally dig this and and get it. And I'm with you. This is just so much fun, I, and I lay a lot of it on the director and the actors and this good script. I mean, it's a good story and it's fun, and I'm really curious to see if they can do anything else with these. You know, there's there's other Krampus movies out there. I can't find anything to see if they're connected to this one. Something tells me that they're not. But uh, if they ever come back to this again, I think there's plenty of fertile ground to to take. But I, even if it just exists in only this one form. I think it's fantastic, and I really enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a large popcorn as well, and I'm glad I got to see it. and glad we got to talk about it here as we end up 2016. Nick, it's been a busy 
year for us on Filmstrip, man. We have reviewed a lot of stuff this year. You've been in on a good bit of it. Ron and Brian have been in on a lot of it. We did two big horror series. But, you know, we got to talk a little bit about 2017 because it's right around the corner. I mean, we still got Star Wars coming up at the end of this year. That'll be kind of our year-ender with Rogue One. But we got some cool stuff coming right in January, too. You and I are going to take a, uh, a dip in the old water. We're going to talk about the four Jaws films right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun, fun talking about those movies. Um, I, I watched Jaws, the original, many, many times, but it's it's been years since I've revisited the uh, sequels, so it's going to be uh, very interesting to uh, talk about that. I don't know if I'm excited or nervous <laughs> or, you know, maybe a little bit of both about, you know, revisiting some of those. You really can be. I mean, either one <laughs> with those sequels. But I, I'll say now, those sequels are, are an interesting study in – different film types i think each one of them is a different genre we'll talk about that but we've got that coming up of course kurt and i are going to be doing kind of a year-long exploration of 10 stanley kubrick films sort of his 10 feature-length films starting with the killing and then going into paths of glory and uh you know all the other ones spartacus you name it clockwork orange and it's going to be a weird time for me because you and i already reviewed the shining as part of our selected works of stephen king retrospective a few years ago i'm going to re-review it this time with with Kurt, and I'm really just going to kind of be looking at the director flourishes. I'm going to try to to look at it from that point of view, but that'll be a different way of doing things. We've never gone back and done another film again, but I felt like it being a part of a different retrospective, different tone, we, we would do that this time. So we've got that coming up, but those are going to be scattered throughout the year. There's a couple of, we're really going to hit three big horror series that are out there throughout the year. Brian and I are going to do the four screen films probably sometime in the spring. But there are two big franchises you and I are going to tackle throughout the year. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Saw movies. Because in 2017, there are new additions or new entries in both of those series coming out. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be excited. I For Texas Chainsaw, um, you know, I'll kind of blow, blow my load right here with that. But um, I've seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I've seen the remake. I have not seen anything else of that series either. So I, I'm a I'm a Texas Chainsaw virgin, so to speak, <laughs> when it comes to watching that. So it will be interesting. I, I've heard many things about those and you know the twists and turns. I'm actually most forward. I'm most looking most forward to actually watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, the the second one done by Toby Hooper, because I've heard some. Uh, crazy bad things and some crazy good things on it so it might be right on my alley it is definitely crazy that is for sure that is a series that is is going to be interesting it's been a while since i've revisited them but i have seen them all and so it'll be neat to go back to them uh, all but the new one called leatherface which we're not sure when that's releasing yet they haven't put a date on it so if they ever will we'll know when we're going to time that retrospective but depending on when that happens we may end up pushing it around a little bit and uh just doing it after it hits video but we're going to do the new saw there's a new saw coming out in october that's really going going to be our Shocktober series. We'll start that back in September and we'll do all of those. But we're also going to pick up on some some other series that we've done and it's time to just pick up on things that are happening. I mean, there's we're going to finally finish Paranormal Activity. We're going to get Ghost Dimension in there and, and put that out. And there's a new Blade Runner coming out. There's a new Alien movie. You're going to be on both of those with me. Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And, you know, we put a couple of polls up on the Fabish Factor Film uh, Podcast Facebook page, and we're going to be going back. Some of the crew and I are going to go back, and we're going to do a couple of John Hughes films. We're going to do The Breakfast Club, which is, you know, a lot of people consider to be a classic, of course, and one of his best. And we're going to do Planes, Trains, and Automobiles for next Thanksgiving time. That's a, that's a big one for you, I know, and uh, I know Brian's a fan of that film, so we'll, we'll get different conglomerations of us to do those two. Ron and I are going to go dip our feet back into the Golden Globus Canon Films pool. The, we did another poll, and the people have spoken, and they demand that Naked Space Vampires and Jog Claude Van Damme be a part of our 2017. So we're going to be talking about Life Force. It's another Toby Hooper film. And Bloodsport. Now, I've never actually never seen Life Force, but I have seen Bloodsport. So I, I haven't seen it in a long time, though. So looking forward I've seen, to I've <laughs> seen images from Life, uh, Life Force. So. <laughs> I think every guy on the internet has seen images from Life Force, but we're going to be doing those uh, throughout the year. And then we're going to sprinkle in a few other things here and there as as they come upon us. I mean, there's all kinds of room for, for different stuff uh, as we start looking at uh, what's coming up in the next year. But those are going to be our hey, big don't, series. Don't yeah. forget about Star Wars. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a new Star Wars at the end of the year. We'll definitely get back to that one. And so that that's going to be a December release again. They keep putting those things in December, man. It's like killing me. But uh, we'll, we'll do some more of that. And uh, there's plenty of stuff to come on Filmstrip in the next year. I mean, that's just a a smidge of what else is out there. We're really excited about all of these. And of course, um, from time to time, we are known to just throw things out there and let you have an opinion. And the only way you can do that is if you keep up with us on social media, follow us on Facebook and, you know, join in on the, the Favish factor page. That's the one where we post all the polls. Cause that's where we do a lot of episode discussion. And we argue about a lot of other things like, you know, Batman returns and Christmas trees and Stephen Avery's guilt or innocence and all kinds of other stuff. So, we get into all of that there, and of course, folks, all of our episodes, our entire catalog, we're way past 200 episodes now uh, on iTunes, available for you for free. As always, you can enjoy it. You can go all the way back to the beginning of this podcast six years ago if you want to, um, though I'll tell you our last four have been way better. Um, so we, we finally figured out what we were doing, sort of, uh, but lots of stuff going on. And oh, dare I forget, the the thing that brought Nick onto the show, the Blair Witch Project, there was a new Blair Witch movie in 2016 we didn't get to man so we'll have to do that one early on in 2017 as well because i've heard a lot of things about it i haven't seen it but i've heard i've a heard lot a lot of things it. too and that you know <laughs> it's it's kind of fitting that that might have been my start of reviewing movies and it also might be the end of me reviewing <laughs> movies from what i heard so i don't think it will be based on some of the other stuff that you're already signed up to review so uh, from it's it's no anaconda from what i it's, hear it's no well you know and you never know folks anaconda to the hunt for the blood orchid we may eventually wrangle curtain to do that you never know so uh, just hang around keep up with us subscribe on itunes again if you like the show leave us a review it helps other people find the show hook up with us on social media and you don't have to agree with us either i mean if you think we're totally off base and wrong about something or whatever say it that's fine you're welcome to your opinion too we're always good to interact uh, with i listen to, i listen to these shows with me on it and every time i'm on here i'd completely disagree with myself so it's, <laughs> it, it won't be a won't be any different <laughs> Well, do check us out, though, uh, folks. And, of course, if you subscribe on iTunes, you'll get the feed all uh, automatically updating. But we'll let you know if anything else is uh, going to change. Again, we threw out that whole catalog of stuff. Stuff is always subject to change. Things could happen. But that's our plans for 2017. So one more episode left in 2016 here. That'll be Rogue One. We'll try to get that one out not long after it uh, releases. But until then, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. 
Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.